You know, we live in a society that no longer knows how to handle when someone messes up. Uh, everything in our culture, it just, we're rushing towards the extremes on both sides. And, and because of that, we have a lot of trouble handling it when people do things that aren't great, which is all of us. And so that should make us nervous that nobody knows how to handle when other people mess up anymore. And so, you know, you've got things in your past and that you regret. I've got things in my past that I regret. Um, for some of you, it might be a relationship. It took you far too long to realize that your mom was right when she said he was the wrong person for you or she was the wrong person for you. Or maybe you dated a guy who always seemed to forget his wallet when you went out on dates. And uh, you thought, that's kind of a red flag, but his hair is so great. And he plays the guitar and, or whatever it might have been that kind of wowed you. Uh, maybe your regrets come from a financial cho uh, choice. Maybe you uh, bought some bad insurance from a brother-in-law because he sold it and he was family and you just kind of thought, well, I need to do it, but it's really expensive and the coverage isn't great, but you can't get out of it now. You're, you're kind of locked in for life. Or maybe you bought a house or a car that was beyond your budget and the car had all the bells and whistles, the things that you'd never had before. Um, or maybe you saw the house and it had the closets of your dreams and you got swept up in the excitement and got yourself into a bit of a mess. Um, maybe you had a run-in with the law that you'd rather people forgot about, okay? Um, because it was a long time ago, you know, you say it was back in college, and besides, my friends dared me to do it. And you gotta, you gotta come through on a, on a dare, right? Um, and so everybody's got their own level of regrets. It's just the way it is. And they can be severe, um, but they can also be some pretty innocent ones. I think some of the more innocent ones are um, the fashion regrets that we all have. And if you're young and say, no, I'm cool, I'm awesome, just wait, you'll regret what you're wearing now, we all probably will. Um, no matter how cool you think you are in a moment, you know, you look back on some season of your life um, with just like, ooh, that was not great. Um, my favorite place to see this is in some of y'all's wedding photos. Oh, I mean, the puffy shoulders on some of those dresses, the gray tails, Oh, man, those are special. I love all that. I also love it the, the age of the dirt stash. There's a lot of these guys who were just getting into adulthood, wanted to get married and be the man of their own house, and they got this little teeny mustache that betrays the fact that they weren't quite old enough to be rocking that mustache. Now, what I wanted to do today was I wanted to talk to some of your spouses and send, have them send me embarrassing pictures of something you used to do, but I thought maybe people wouldn't take kindly to be publicly embarrassed on Easter. So um, I thought I'd embarrass myself. I don't have to ask for permission for that because um, I've got my fair share of embarrassing fashion moments from my life. Um, just for comparison's sake, I want to show you um, an early picture of me at probably uh, where I peaked out in my studliness. Okay? This is me. Okay? Now, there's not a chance in the world that I picked that out to wear. My sister is 11 years older than me, and she treated me like I was a Ken doll to dress up with and walk around all the time. So any, there's several pictures of me just like looking really, really cool, rocking the jacket. And I think this was on Easter Sunday. That's why we were all dressed up. I have no idea how old I was there. I'm guessing five, six, something like that. Um, so that's good, okay. That's a good picture. But then um, I have had a tendency throughout my life, though, to venture away from looks that were classic and to lean into things that were stylish in the moment. Okay, you understand the difference between things that are like classic that don't go out of style versus the moments that were trendy. Um, here I am at Disney World with some nice racing stripes in over my ears. Now, 
I also had, this was also the era where you like super spiked your hair with like, it was like the crunchy, like hard as a rock, you know, spikes with like, I think it was moose or whatever you used back then. Um, but it rained because it's Florida. And so that all got flattened out. So you only get to see half of how cool I was at that moment. And that's also an Ewok, by the way, that I'm with there. So, um, and I'm wearing a Bugle Boy shirt. How many people remember Bugle Boy? Yeah. Yeah, that's how cool I was. So um, had the racing stripes, right? Uh, here I am on a Christmas morning in head-to-toe Pittsburgh Steelers attire. My favorite team, and I just uh, thought, go all in, I guess. I mean, those are Steelers pants. That is a shirt. You can see the new sticker on it. I put it on. I got the Steelers hat. Man, I could not be more excited to represent my sports team, um, even though I can't play football to save my life. Um, it's interesting. I asked people in my family for embarrassing pictures this week, and they came through. And um, when I got this one, Jude was like, is that Trent, who's my nephew, um, who's also at this stage in his life where he is bones? That's all he is. He's just a skeleton walking around, and that's what I was at this moment. Um, so, and then, but probably one of the worst ones, and there's just a lot, not a lot to love about this one. Um, this is my niece. She's the lovable part of this photo. She's now well into her 20s, but I have no redeeming statements for the highlights. I don't, I don't know what was going on. I don't know why I thought that was cool. I remember sitting in that seat with that stupid cap on where they stick that, I don't know, needle, whatever it is, into your, and they like pull out pieces of your scalp is what it feels like, but they're just pulling hair through. And I remember trying not to like tear up, like it hurt so bad that like the, you know, the, you're like, everything tingles, and you just feel the single tears coming to the corners of your eyes. But, but the hair's not the only bad thing. Those pants, um, those were the first pants I've ever seen. They zipped off. You know, those, they were pants, and they turned into shorts. And I thought that was so cool that they could transform from one thing into the other. But they were so short. when they, And that's why you can get a hint of that, like, very white thigh peeking through there. Um, but in case the highlights weren't enough for you, um, at one point, I went full-on blonde. Yeah, yeah, right? Oh, man, and I'm kind of glad this is like one of the only pictures of me blonde because at least there's a little bit of muscle showing in there, you know? Not much. Again, I was just a walking skeleton for most of my life, but um, yeah, so I mean, I don't know why my hair fell out early or anything. That's weird. I'm sure there's no connection at all, um, right? Right, so, but that, that's, those are, again, those are innocent regrets, right? We can laugh about them. There was a, a season of my life where I didn't think anything like that was funny, you know, and I hid all those pictures away. Um, but, you know, now you get a little older and you look back and you laugh at yourself. But whether it was an innocent regret, like, you know, you had the big 80s hair that you loved and, it, you know, you were putting holes in the ozone every time you got your hair ready and sprayed it down, or whether you wore a leisure suit. Did anybody have a solid pastel-colored leisure suit? With Yeah, Bob. He, you still got it, don't you, Bob? Ah. Oh. Yeah. It was yellow. Ooh, yeah. What a good, man, that would have been a good Easter Sunday suit to wear, you know. That would have been a good one. Um, I wore, I found one in high school. We had like a, a 70s day or 60s day, I forget what it was. And I found a, one of my mom's friend's husbands still had a baby blue leisure suit, and it was a beauty. Jim had one? Well, well, if you got any pictures of that, I'd like to see him. I mean, if you can dig them up, right? Yeah. Ah, there you go. I love that. But like I said, some of them are innocent like that. But some of the regrets in our life go deeper. And they, 
uh, are more cringy than that. You know, I look back on my past, and I have those things that just like, oh, they make my heart ache when I think about them. Um, I regret the way that I used to view and treat girls when I was younger. Uh, I regret the years I let my anger control my behavior. Um, I regret the times I let pride and selfishness lead me to neglect doing what was right. You know, because maybe somebody needed help or there was something I could have given to somebody in a moment, but it would have interrupted how I wanted my life to go, and so I just carried on with my merry way. Uh, I regret the way in high school I used to make fun of people because my philosophy was, if I can make people laugh at you, then they can't be laughing at me. And you've got yours. I've got mine. You've got yours. Um, maybe your past is something to do with addiction, um, and maybe it's a relationship that you just didn't care for like you should have and it fell apart. Uh, maybe you spent more years concerned with your kids' sports and their GPA than how they were doing as a person. And now the relationship that you have with your older kids is broken and marred in some ways by your past behavior. Whatever it is, we've all got these regrets that we carry with us every day through life. And that's a problem because, if, especially if you're going to look at how our culture says to handle the times you messed up. Because it's way, way messy the way our culture handles it right now. And our culture, again, we rush to the extreme, so we've only got two ways our culture handles this stuff anymore um, when you mess up. First way is all justice, no grace. You've done wrong and you need to pay for it. You messed up and you need to suffer the consequences of your actions. Um, the most obvious way you see this play out is with celebrities and the, the cancel culture, so-called cancel culture that is um, used a lot and talked about a lot, okay? Um, cancel culture is based on the good idea, I think. It's an overcorrection of the fact that for years people in power and celebrities could really get away with anything. You know, they could drunk drive and run over a whole family of people and get like two weeks community service and people were like, oh, it's not fair, that's not right, that's not good. And so now we've kind of overcorrected to where there's now all justice, no grace. And again, it's built on that idea of you've done something wrong and you need to be held accountable. It's built on this natural idea, this, this understanding that we all have that there needs to be some justice in the world. And um, it's gotten to the point though with the extremes that now it's like, did you say something dumb 12 years ago on social media? Sorry, you're done. Have you grown as a person? We don't care. You did something wrong, and now you've got to pay for it. And so um, there's no redemption when it's all justice and no grace. But the other side that we handle it is the opposite extreme, which is all grace and no justice. Uh, this is the mindset that you look at somebody and you go, well, everybody has bad days. Well, yeah, anybody can be made to look bad if you take one little snippet of their life out of context and you play it over and over again on social media or in a 24-hour news cycle. Yeah, yeah, sure, that's, they're probably not a bad person. Or I love it when people are like, yeah, they did something bad, but they're just so talented. So it's just let them go so we can still be entertained by their movies and music or their career in politics, whatever it might be. And, uh, you know, one of the interesting things that I have noticed over time, uh, the last number of years, is that as we've rushed to the extremes of how to handle when people mess up, what's weird is you very rarely find people that are all justice across the board, and you rarely find people that are all grace across the board. Instead, we tend to handle all justice and hammer down this you know, iron fist of justice, or we let people totally go off scot-free, depending on who the person is, and do we like them? How do we feel about them? Do they agree with us on things? Are they a person who fits into the tribe that we would say that we belong to? 
And so it's very inconsistent in the ways that we are handling mess in people's lives. Um, the easiest place to see this is politics. Um, hardcore Republicans will excuse the behavior of any Republican candidate or political position. Uh, hardcore Democrats will excuse any Democrats' behavior in their political position. Hardcore Republicans think every Democrat needs to be in jail with a life sentence for, you know, you know, putting too many stamps on something that they put in the mail. And Democrats, hardcore Democrats, think Republicans ought to all be in jail for the way they voted on an issue five years ago. It's just, like, it's funny how we can be so hardcore in one direction, and then one second later, we're like, oh, let them, don't worry about it. It's fine. We can go both ways in this. And so we live in a culture of extremes where justice and grace, which is weird that we go all in on one or the other, but then we hand it out so unevenly. And it's become this weird, weird culture where some people are held to such ridiculous lengths of accountability, and some people still get to go away scot-free, depending on how our society feels about them. Now, in this really angry moment of culture that we live in, I think Jesus offers a very refreshing and more appropriate alternative. Um, now, if you don't know much about the Christian faith, if you're newer, or even if you've been here a while, I think sometimes it's good to spend our time covering the basics because the reason why we're here is not because the Bible makes us feel good when we read certain stories. It's not because it's nostalgic for what you did when you went to church as a kid. The reason we talk about this stuff is because there is a good news story at the heart of everything we believe. So we believe at the start of it that all of the bad and evil things that humans do throughout their lives and throughout the course of history have been against God's desire for how the world he created should operate. He wanted humanity to be this selfless, generous, kind, and humble group of people. And yet more often than not, if we're honest, we tend to be selfish and stingy and greedy and judgmental. And because we have lived in ways that are opposite of what God wants for us, there need to be consequences. There must be justice. We've broken God's laws for his world, and so there needs to be some sort of way that we pay for those actions of ours that were wrong. And the, one of the consequences that the Bible tells us about is spiritual death in a place called hell, where we are eternally separated from God. And hell is simply a place of punishment for people who have chosen to live for themselves, to live inwardly rather than outwardly for God, his way, and the other people in the world. And as Bruce said a minute ago, this is everybody, okay? If you're new, don't hear this as saying, we're the good Christian people, and anybody who's not a Christian is the worst horrible person ever. We're the good ones, you're the bad ones. That's not the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus is every human is a mess, Everybody is a mess. We've all done things that were wrong. Some more extreme levels, some not. But all of us are guilty of breaking the laws of God, and justice requires that we be punished for it. But because God loves us so much, he did not want to abandon us strictly to that fate. And instead, he chose out of grace to step out of heaven and into our world on a rescue mission. And God was born into a human body as Jesus. And from the moment Jesus was born, he lived an absolutely innocent life, meaning he didn't do any of the mean, cruel, horrible, evil, selfish stuff that a lot of us do on the regular. He lived a perfect life where he lived God's intent for humanity. He showed everyone what humanity was meant to be. And he modeled for us the kind, loving, generous, sacrificial behavior that the human race was meant to be known for. 
But unlike every other human, because he was innocent, he didn't deserve punishment. There was no scales of justice to be balanced. However, after 33 years of perfect living, he surrendered himself to die through an absolutely brutal way, through an ancient form of torture and execution called crucifixion. Now, these are railroad ties, but they get the point across. It would take a hefty nail to hold somebody up on a piece of wood, and that would have gone through his hands, for his wrists, and through either probably the tops of his feet. It would have been a brutal way. The way you died through crucifixion normally was you suffocated because you hung in such a way that you couldn't breathe, and your muscles got more and more fatigued to where you could could bring yourself up to take a breath. It was an absolutely horrible way. And Jesus, again, surrendered himself to that fate in order to take our punishment, in order to take the punishment that you and I deserve for breaking God's goals for his world. He suffered for every wrong, selfish, regretful, and hateful action that any human has ever committed in the history of the world, that you or I have ever done. And every ounce of anger that God feels towards that wrong, the wrong that we have introduced into his world, it was poured out on Jesus in that time on the cross. And so he took all of that punishment so that we don't have to. His death bought our freedom from the consequences of our sin. You see, justice and grace at the cross, both coming together in a beautiful way where justice was handled. Jesus took the justice, the punishment, but the grace flowed out to the rest of us. In a little tiny document in the New Testament called 1 John, it was written by one of Jesus' closest friends. He says this, he says, he himself, talking about Jesus, is the sacrifice that atones for our sins or makes us right with God. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. The power of what Jesus did on the cross was that he didn't just suffer for me or you, but this amazing sacrifice somehow covered every wrong that had ever been done, every imbalance of justice. And then on the third day, he rose. He did not stay dead. He came back to life. And whereas his death makes it possible for us to be forgiven. His resurrection declares his victory over the, the sin that has hung on to the human race for so long. It, he, uh, he broke the hold of death that you and I deserve for the wrongs of, our, of ourselves. And he shows us the hope that if we are reunited to God our Father through a relationship with Jesus, then we too will be resurrected one day. He kind of was the the first, he paved the way towards resurrection, that after death, we also get to rise and be with Jesus. In another New Testament document, a church planner and pastor named Paul uh, wrote a letter to a church called Corinth, and he says this. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died, meaning he went first to resurrection. We will all follow one day, those who are in Christ. He says, so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because, he, because we all belong to Adam, meaning we've all followed in the path of Adam and Eve from Genesis chapter 3 where they messed up in the very beginning and we've all followed suit. Now everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life, different life. And whereas our culture says you've messed up and you're done, we're done with you, Jesus says, no, I, I know you've messed up. 
And I know that that must be answered for. And I know that you need forgiveness and grace, that there's restoration. Jesus offers something our culture doesn't. It's, it reckons with the sin, but it offers us a path to be restored. And unlike our culture that sometimes looks at huge, horrible things that people do wrong and just says, eh, don't worry about it. They've got enough money. We'll just let them buy the right people off. They're enough talent, got enough talent. We'll just let that slider. They're my buddy. They're my friend. So I'm not going to bring it up anymore because I don't want to lose the friendship. Whereas our culture tends to let a lot of stuff slide. The gospel of Jesus doesn't do that because the cross in all of its horror, in all of its pain and death, it shows the huge cost that sin requires. It shows that the high cost of the evil that God desires. And so Jesus doesn't just forgive us and say, okay, let it go. No big deal, buddy. You, you just have it go on your way. We're all friends. No, he also under, helps us to understand that sin is wrong and it has a, it's a problem. And, and we need to, one, have it dealt with, but also change our life as we move forward. And so Jesus talks about giving us this, what's those, what those last two words? New life. Now, the, there's kind of two sides to this, where there's, we, the new life starts now, but it's kind of a taste of what is to come. And so he gives us this ability to start changing our lives now, so that not, you know, it's not just, okay, I came to Jesus, and now I just keep on living my merry way and doing whatever I want to do. No, he wants to help us live in a way that is more human, more human in the way that he intended us to be. In Romans, another uh, book written by that pastor and church planner named Paul, he says, How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, meaning that old, so that old part of us can go away. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might walk in newness of life. There's that same kind of phrase, new life. And so in Jesus, we find this perfect handling of justice and grace and an invitation to be better. And, you know, when we look out into the world and we see all these things that people do, we feel all of this stuff. Don't? I mean, we do. You look at somebody who does something horrible and you want... You feel that desire, that's not right, this shouldn't stand, they should go to jail forever, or whatever you feel. Or you, you mess up, or, or one of your friends mess up, and you, you feel that desire to show them grace. You say, well, they, they were, they're a good person, and they've messed up, but surely there should be something else in their story beyond this dumb thing they did. And then you look at your own life, and you realize the bad that you do, and you, just, you want to be better. We feel all of these things mixed in as we handle the imperfections of humanity every single day and our culture does not know how to handle all of that property properly but jesus has a way forward in all of it he wants us to be held accountable for our sin he wants us to know that we've done wrong and we need a savior he wants us to find grace and mercy and redemption through him and also he wants us to understand that there is a way for us to be better and so our, in our chaotic world, it calls for some people's heads on a platter, and it turns a blind eye to the atrocities of others. But I think Jesus is a much more attractive and healing way forward as it comes to handling grace and justice. And if you've ever felt like a failure, and I'm guessing you've had a moment or two in your life that, where you felt that way, if you've made mistakes that you felt like you'd never get past, never overcome, if you've struggled under the weight of your past, there is hope in the cross. There might not be hope 
for you in our culture. It just depends on who you know and if you're connected enough. But in Jesus, there is always hope. And as someone who is already saved by Jesus and who still lives a very imperfect life, thankfully my wife's not in here to give an amen to that. She's in the kids' area at the moment. But I live still a very imperfect life. I'm not always the greatest example of being a good person, being a good dad, being a good husband, being a good friend. And there's still hope for Jesus for me in the gospel. I still need to come back to this story of the cross again and again and again in my life. Every day we find, though, that there is hope available to anyone through Jesus. And if you're here today, especially if you're newer, because I talk about this quite a bit, and some of you are like, yeah, you talk about this all the stinking time, man. We get it. Jesus, right, okay. Um, But if you're newer and you haven't... um, heard some of this stuff, or maybe you would just say, you're not a Christian. Let me just tell you, I don't think you're here by accident. If you're watching online, I don't think you're watching online by accident. I think God uses friends and random Facebook crossover interactions to draw us to places where we will hear about his amazing story of hope and grace. I think if you're here listening to my voice right now, or maybe you're watching this two weeks from now on a Facebook recording that you stumbled across, I think God leads us to places where we will hear about his great hope and love for us. I don't believe that that this is accidental. I don't believe in coincidences like that anymore. I do believe, though, that this is maybe God's invitation for you to lean in and learn more about him and a relationship with him. And so if you are at all interested in exploring faith in Jesus, if you are at all interested in just knowing more about God and grace and salvation and what we believe about that stuff, if you just think this alternative that Jesus offers sounds good, Or maybe you just say, I got lots of questions. I didn't understand a lot of that. I heard half of it. I got problems with some of what you said. Even if that's where you stand with questions and and things, I would just invite you, you, whatever place you find yourself in, I just invite you to spend some time with us. Give us a chance to give you a place to ask your questions. Try joining us on Sundays as we study the Bible and we see what God has to say on a lot of different topics and how it can lead us to a, as Jesus says, life in the fullest Life in the fullest. By the way, that's a way of saying that the ways that we tend to live that we think are going to make us happy and great and make everything wonderful, it's not going to get us there. And Jesus knows what it really means to live a full human life. And so we're here every single week, and I want to promise you something. I promise that we will give you a safe, non-intimidating way to explore faith and explore questions. We're not here to pressure anyone to Jesus. We're not here to twist your arm behind your back and make you get, you know, give your life to Jesus. We're not going to tackle anybody into the baptistry or anything like that. We're not here. What we do believe is that God's message is so powerful that when you spend time honestly looking at it, honestly giving Jesus a chance to um, explain himself to you through scripture, uh, we think that you can make the right decision, and you don't need to be forced into anything. And so we promise to give you uh, any help that we can as you explore Christ and his way of life that he promises through Scripture. But in case you missed any of that, let me recap it one more time. Just because, I mean, on Easter, you've got to get the gospel out. That's like the number one rule they taught me in Bible college. On Easter, you've got to get the gospel out there. So we're all a mess. We all deserve punishment. That's the bad news side of the gospel. But the good news side is that God loves you so much and me so much that he came as Jesus to take the punishment for us. 
so that he would, we would be shielded from the consequences of our sin. Did we deserve it? No. Is it simply because he's good and kind and loving, like a good parent who catches their kid when they're about to fall off their bike and they get scraped up instead of their kid? That was kind of how it was. We didn't deserve it, but he loved us enough that Jesus died to buy our forgiveness, and he rose to pave the way forward to a life of hope and joy and fullness, both now and for eternity. Let's pray. Father, we are so incredibly grateful for the good news of Jesus. We are grateful for the salvation that comes through the cross of Christ. We are grateful that you hold us accountable. You, you honestly speak about the evil that the human race does. You don't gloss over it. You don't soften it. You show us how evil it is, and, and you point it out that, um, that we've all kind of been enslaved to it. And we are enslaved to doing the, and carrying out and living out the desires of our heart, the cravings of our flesh. And yet, knowing the evil that lives inside the human heart, out of your love for us and your care and kindness and generosity, you came to save us from ourselves, to save us from the punishment that we really did deserve because of our betrayal to you and the way you wanted your world to function and the way you wanted the human race to shine a light into a, a world uh, to see you and to, to know you. I do pray, Father, that, that we would be grateful for the cross of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, and grateful for the resurrection every single day. That it wouldn't be something that we revisit on Easter or think about at certain times of the year, but it, we understand that this is the center of our faith. The cross and the empty tomb stand in the middle of of history so that we might know this amazing power of Jesus and that we might look to him and understand and see your love in, in how he lived and died for us. So thank you for the salvation of Jesus. I pray that we would be grateful for it. I pray that we would lean into that and explore the truth of your word every day so that we can walk away from sin and walk toward the life that you've called us to live, a life that honors you a life that gives and serves others, and a life that brings us joy like we've never understood before. You're such a good Heavenly Father, and we are grateful. It is in Jesus' beautiful name that we pray. Amen.